Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to a justice-filled episode of Comics Motherfucker Do You Read Em? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight on this Justice League tie-in episode, and I am joined tonight by two of my fellow Justice Leaguers, why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hera, help us. It's me, Justin. Hey guys, my book doesn't have the main character in it hardly at all. Awesome. <laughs> we were we were discussing that before we before we got on the air. <laughs> I've wanted to be a hero my whole life, and being on the Justice League is a dream come true. It's just I feel like I'm not... You feel. That's the problem. You need to stuff your emotions deep down inside. Feel nothing. Only plot, plan, and react to a world full of cowardly, superstitious criminals. It's the healthy thing to do. All right. Well, yeah, this is part of our Justice League tie-in episodes, and this will be the second of three and in this episode, we are catching up with the other members of the Justice League. So we had decided, if you, if you missed that last episode, we decided part of our tie-in process was going to be to look at solo stories of each of the main heroes in the Justice League film. So last time around, we were talking about Superman, The Flash, and Aquaman. And now we are going to be discussing Cyborg, Wonder Woman, and Batman. That's actually what's going on here tonight. And so each of us has brought a solo book from each of those Justice League characters. And first up in chronological order is going to be the book that I brought for everybody to check out tonight. And that is actually going to be Tales of the New Teen Titans, Cyborg issue number one and that was released the cover date was june 1982 but it was actually released march 25th 1982 it had a cover price of a whopping 60 cents and the title of course of the story is cyborg and this is basically a big origin story of Cyborg that was written by Marv Wolfman and penciler George Perez and has some really nice inks by Brett Breeding. 
and I'll go into a synopsis, and then I think, you know, we'll, we'll discuss the book a bit. When there's trouble, you know what to do. Call Cyborg, he can shoot a rocket from his shoe. Cause he's Cyborg. Doodle doodle, something like that. Oh yeah. Na 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 na, big fluffy cat. At Changeling's suggestion, the new Team Titans take a week-long camping and hiking trip together in the Grand Canyon, not to be confused with the Great Canyon. Conversation around the campfire leads to Cyborg's telling the story of his childhood and his origin. As a youngster, Victor Stone was used as a guinea pig by his parents in their intelligence-boosting scientific experiments. As a result, Baby Vic became a child genius. However, he lacked basic street smarts and understanding, and any peers or companionship, until he met street gang leader Ron Evers. Evers takes Stone under his wing, and young Vic emulates his new idol in all things, including smoking and petty crime. Then, at his mother's insistence, Victor was allowed to attend public school, where he became an outstanding athlete. He wanted to be allowed to follow his own passions, forsaking his father's dream of a scientific career for him. His injury in a gang fight deepens the rift between Victor and his parents, and after he declines Evers' invitation to take part in a terrorist action against the Statue of Liberty, he ends his friendship with Ron Evers as well. Then, the accidental escape of a protoplasmic creature from another dimension in an experiment of the stones results in the death of Victor's mother and his own deadly injury. Victor was then rebuilt by his father as Cyborg, a being that was half man and half mechanical parts. After a five month period during which he learned to control his new body, Cyborg moves out on his own only to discover that his transformation had cost him both his girlfriend and his athletic career. He was later paid a visit by Ron Evers, who intended to make him the scapegoat in a plot to blow up the United Nations building. Instead, Cyborg foils the plot, and Evers falls to his death in the aftermath of the theft. And that pretty much, in a nutshell, is the story of Cyborg's origin and this first issue of Tales of the New Teen Titans. I basically picked this because it's it's the main introduction, you know, the, the big main backstory to Cyborg. And, you know, going into this, probably a lot of people will maybe either be familiar with his, you know, New 52, you know, Justice League origin having ties to Apocalypse. And I'm sure maybe that's what the film version is going to tie into, too. But I thought it'd be cool to take a look at kind of, you know, the OG, the the original gangster version of Cyborg's origin and and see, you know, what people thought of it and, and also just kind of get people's takes on it. But had, had either of you guys read this before? I uh, had no. not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't say this was a spinner rack book for me. This isn't something I bought off the stands or anything like that. But, I mean, I did kind of discover Teen Titans books. I think, like, the New Titans, I think, was because of, and I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, that was a direct market, you know, book at the time at the comic shops. So I think I ended up discovering that 
when they did the whole lonely place of dying storyline, you know, that you, you oh. were reading Batman and then you had to go out and buy Teen Titans. So that was probably the first time I was like, oh, I got to buy this Teen Titans book and everything. And then I think based on like my interest in Teen Titans and Nightwing, you know, Robin becoming Nightwing, I started seeking out all these back issues of stuff. And, you know, for me, I think my introduction to Cyborg which may be like a lot of other folks was on the, the, you know, the superpowers galactic guardians cartoon and the superpowers toy and everything like that. So that was my kind yeah. of big introduction to him. And based on that, it was like, he was again, a familiar character to me where I was like, Oh, cool. Cyborg. Like, you know, so that, that was kind of why I was drawn to read that particular issue and, and check it out and everything. And of course it's got, you know, really, really great art from George Perez, so that doesn't hurt either. I'm, I'm like you, Derek. I was first really introduced to to Vic Stone in the Superpowers, you know, Galactic Guardian season, and I always thought he was cool. And he, he is actually probably one of my favorite Titans. You know, so it's it's nice. You know, he's he's nowadays, you know, gotten that promotion where he's now a Justice Leaguer now instead of just a Teen Titan, quote unquote. It's it's funny. Like I I don't mean to rock the boat or anything or or even interrupt, but like. I know, like, traditionally people, a lot of comic people, you know, you know, I guess me and Justin were having the conversation about, you're not a real fan, you know, if you think X or whatever, but it's like, I, I could see people saying, well, you're not a real fan of, of Cyborg if you don't think of him as a teen titan, you know, but I, I think because of that introduction in Superpowers Galactic Guardians, it, it, it never seemed unusual to me whether they they tried to have him be part of the Justice League in Smallville or you know the New Fifty Two or whatever, like I I always kind of just thought, oh well that that kind to me that kind of has its basis in the Superpowers team, which was essentially you know the Justice League, you know like in in the cartoons, you know of the eighties and and seventies. Yeah, and, and I mean I mean honestly like. It's like when we we were talking about the New Mutants that one time. When when a character is in a a, a, a team like that, like the Teen Titans, because yeah, they became the Titans after a while, but you know, they they're mostly known as the Teen Titans. That that is always looked at, no matter how you know big their adventures get, no matter who they save in their world, they're seen as the Junior Squad. You know, they they're respected, and you know they 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 aren't looked at as as incompetent. But they're just not the big guys. So just like the New Mutants, even though they're really powerful or they have really amazing adventures, when you do go to the big leagues, I think that's cool. It's like graduation day, you know? So Vic Stone well, yeah. being on, like, yeah. yeah. Kind of like Cannonball being an official X-Man or an Avenger as opposed to him being a New Mutant. There is a, a class status change in that, that you know, like you, you call it the, the promotion, you know? Like he... He he went from you know Teen Titans. He went from the little kids table to the big kids table at Thanksgiving dinner, pretty much. Yeah, and and that doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Even though Superpowers did a really good version of Vic Stone's origin, I mean it, it was of course it was cut a little bit for brevity because you know it's a twenty two minute cartoon. You know, I mean you can't have like you know this whole you know Evers plot and everything like that. You know, it's just kind of like you know but 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 this happened but 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 I can't play football anymore but 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 I guess I'm a superhero. Yeah, I mean I mean they they just kind of you know what's funny is I did I did revisit that episode cuz I was trying to figure out something and maybe you guys can tell me if I'm just a crazy little kid and I made it up in my head or whatever but like I I did look at the the Seeds of Doom which is the first 
episode Cyborg shows up on. And I mean, essentially, like, Professor Stein explains to Ronnie Raymond, like, oh, you know, Victor Stone was this promising young athlete, and it's like basically this athletic magazine or scientific journal or something that shows him as Cyborg on the cover. It's this thing of fascination for somebody like Professor Stein. Like, it's his latest you know, scientific journal magazine. And so they have Cyborg on the cover and he shows Ronnie, you know, oh, look, he was a normal, you know, decathlon athlete. You know, you can see him like lifting weights and doing all kinds of stuff. It wasn't quite football or anything like that, but it was, you know, it was something sports related. And you could see like, oh, look, he's lifting weights. He's, you know, doing the shot put or whatever he's doing in these magazines. And and then, you know, he turns the page and is like, there was a horrible accident that they don't go into any detail on on the cartoon. And and then it's like and then, you know, his father luckily had the scientific skills to save his life and he was made cyborg and all this other stuff. And that's I mean, that's essentially all you get. They don't the, you know, the the origin here is a lot more. It's a lot more gritty. It, it it deals with I I'd say a lot of urban elements to to Cyborg's backstory you know whether it's like the gang violence or yeah yes you know he's with running with a bad crowd when he's smoking like I I kind of love that shot of the little the little baby Cyborg sitting there with Ron Evers and he's trying to emulate his like older idol but it's kind of hilarious because it's like this you know he's basically like a little rascal or something and he's taking a smoke or whatever which i kind of thought was like funny the nine or ten or some shit yeah 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 exactly like like you know or, or like when donald duck you know makes huey dewey and louie smoke all those cigars but it was really just a gift for them you know for donald for his birthday or whatever and it's like that kind of funny thing of like oh yeah of course the little kids don't want to smoke like they're gonna you know, get sick on the, 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 the cigar smoke or whatever it is. But, you know, the, the, the actual accident is also covered too. And you're just like, and, and it's kind of a very disturbing, you know, his, his mother dies in that accident. I mean, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't really get covered on a cartoon. Like you never knew as a kid watching that cartoon that as a result of the accident that kind of made him half man, half cyborg, Oh, and by the way, that accident also claimed the life of his mother, you know, like the, so, so, so you don't have that aspect. I mean, they, they, they did play a lot with the, the pathos of it, I think in the cartoon sometimes. And, and it's worth mentioning, like Ernie Hudson did the voice of Cyborg in that cartoon. So of course the voice acting was, was top notch and everything like that. But I, I guess like, the thing I was going to ask you guys is, and I don't know where I got this idea. I, I assume I'm just a crazy little kid. Like when I used to think like when Jabba the Hutt sent people down into the Rancor pit, it turned them into frogs that he could eat later. Like I just, <laughs> I just made that up when I was like a little kid. Like I thought that's what had happened, you know, in Return of the Jedi, you even though, even, even though, even though that's not what happened at all. And I'm like sitting there for some reason, I was under the impression that at some point, I don't know if it was, I thought it was in the cartoon, because I watched that episode, Seeds of Doom, and I started looking through the old Superpowers comics, but for some reason, I was under the impression, in some version of his origin, the reason why Cyborg was half man and half machine was that he got mauled by a bear. 
Like, did huh. I just did I just make that up? Like, because I I can't. I was looking online and I can't find any evidence of it in the comics and the cartoons or anything. And and I'm like starting to wonder. Like, did I just completely make that up? Like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I can't I can't prove it. So I I'm starting to question. You know my sanity or whatever like I, I i don't know if that rings a bell with either of you guys but like i i was like i was looking at like the superpowers file card i was like does anything say anything about a bear you know and i'm like i'm like cross-referencing like dc cyborg bear dc cyborg mauling like dc you know victor stone gets mauled by a bear and like nothing's coming up so i assume i made it up but for some reason i don't know like i i, I don't know maybe as a kid i just tried to fill in the blanks of like what happened during that accident and since i didn't know as a kid and i hadn't read this comic until i picked it up in like a back issue bin you know at like comic zone or something like i guess i just didn't know you know but that, that sounds like something that would happen on like a hostess fruit pie advertisement mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. hey kids i'm cyborg make sure you put your like food up in the tree or a bear gets you and then it's like <laughs> You know, he's watching them to make sure then, and it's like the bear comes for the fruit pies, and he starts wrestling the bears. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, I always thought of it as, like, serious, though. You know, like, it was a, you know, Legends of the Fall sequence or something where Cyborg got, like, mauled <laughs> by the bear or whatever, and that's why he has, like, a half-Cyborg body. But clearly, I totally made that up, because in this, you know, obviously, it's this kind of interdimensional protoplasm and you know later i guess with the whole new 52 thing it's going to be like you know apocalyptic you know boom tube technology and all that kind of stuff but you know it's you know i mean you know i i don't think you could get any better of an artist than george perez to do all the details in this story you know like the emotional residence and 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 kind of the 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 mechanics and parts and you know, just like the look on his face when he wakes up to find he's got these metal hands and, you know, the the kind of strained relationship he has with his father. You know, like, I think all those things yeah. are kind of, you know, obviously, like, well done. Can I, can I ad- admit something? Like, I, I'm more of a, like, animated cyborg guy, you know, mm. like Teen Titans mm. animated series or Teen Titans Go. Like, I like the Teen Titans. But I've read maybe the first three trades of, like, this era of the Titans. And to be honest, like, I always thought Cyborg was kind of a jerk. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I, I totally get why he has a chip on his shoulder, like, especially after reading this, his origin. But it seems like whenever, you know, whether it was Wally or, you know, Beast Boy, or, like, someone was trying to, like, joke around right, or have a right. good time or something or pull a prank, like – he was always like such a like grumpy sourpuss, and I think I think that kind of put me off towards the character until the animated version came around, and he was all like, you know, booyah and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think I think even in this to get him to open up, I mean, I, I guess I see what you're saying because you know they're they're trying to go out and have fun and everything, and then you know everybody's like, yeah, let's talk about fun stuff like friends, and then he's like well, I don't have any true friends, you know, and he goes into his origin, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, that that totally makes sense. And I think he even has a line, you know, when Garth is, like, making fun of him. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of like, hey, have you ever tried, like, a lifestyle change as a corpse? And I was just like, oh, my God, like, that's pretty <laughs> rough, man. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, usually Vic Stone in the comics, you're right, Justin, He he's really not like, you know, the cyborg in the, the Teen Titans shows. He's a... Uh, He's very stoic and much more methodical kind of guy. He he he's you know he's scientific, you know. He he he's he's not so fun loving and stuff. And and you know, Derek, like you said, this this issue really does, you know, pan that out why, you know, it's like he didn't just, you know, have an accident and like, you know, wake up and he's like, Man, my father's a monster. He turned me into a cyborg and now I can do all these awesome things. What a jerk, and he saved my life. It was like, no, it was like, you know, this horrible, you know, chemical, like, plasma, you know, accident, and his mother dies. Yeah, I understand what Justin's saying, but, and, but he, you know, as Justin said, you know, he understands he does have a chip on his shoulder. So it's like, you, you kind of understand why he's, like, a little bit closed off and kind of a stoic guy. And then, like you said, he does have that strained relationship with his father. It's just, it is it's really, really well done, you know, and, and I was, I was going to uh, posit that, like, as much as George Perez has done his career, and he's done a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. The guy is not only prolific, but amazing. I, to this day, always consider him the Teen Titans artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think I think he basically kind of, you know, defined, like, I mean, I, I think him and Marv Wolfman were why that book was, you know, like one of DC's number one you know, hot books that basically, you know, went neck to neck with stuff like the X-Men in their, in their heyday, you know, like, I mean, that the, the new Teen Titans was, you know, DC's uncanny X-Men of, of the eighties, you know, like that, though, that was, you know, I mean that, and maybe, I don't know, Legion of Superheroes were like the big, you know, hot teen books, you know, that were, that were, you know, w w you know, on the, the minds of all the the readers and everything so that's that's definitely for sure i you know I, I i don't know if this is worth going into too much you know i don't know if you guys have anything too much to say about this but i i do kind of appreciate that e even if victor stone had been dealt a lot of bad hands you know in life like i i kind of appreciated the idea that as much as he has all these encounters with Ron Evers and Evers tries to, you know, do all these kind of, you know, nasty things to him and, and, and basically turns, turns it on its head. You know, he, he, you know, Ron Evers is the type of guy that would blame, you know, he, you know, frequently, you know, him and, and the girlfriend for Victor Stone, who you find out is a pretty shallow and, and kind of lame Vapid. human being you know because she abandons him the minute he is you know you know disfigured basically those characters kind of reminded me of the kind of one note characters from like you know the the captain america runs like like the angle heart and i'm trying to think of who else was writing it at the time but like you know the whole thing where you know cap had uh you know falcon as his partner and Falcon had that one girlfriend who had a chip on her shoulder and everything. Oh, yeah, And yeah, was yeah. calling everybody, like, you know, dirty honkies and stuff. And you, you'll notice, <laughs> like, like Ron Ron Evers and, and, and Cyborg's girlfriend in this, they're they're very much of a same ilk. They're they're very militant. They're very quick to to blame, you know, oh, it's not it's not anything that's wrong with me. It's the man that's keeping me down and all this kind of stuff. And they talk about that a lot in this comic. And I feel like chip I, on their shoulders in after cyborg. Well, well, <laughs> you, you, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I kind of feel like you know, 
cyborg and and Celia Stone, like they almost come from that Morgan Freeman elk of like, you know, that's bullshit. I made myself awesome. Like you don't have to be held up by any of this mental hangups that you know the man is keeping you down. Because look at me, you know, look at you, newscaster. Like you're making a bunch of money. Like the man didn't hold you down. Clearly, you're a fucking famous newscaster, right? Like. You know, and it's like, it's like, that's what I thought of when, when, you know, Victor Stone ultimately like turns that on its head and he says, look, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm stopping you from blowing up the fucking Statue of Liberty or the UN building. Like, he, this is wrong. Like, you know, it's like, he, he's like, you're just sick. It's like, he says, sickness doesn't know color. You're just messed up. Like, you're messed up in the head and everything. And like, I, I think it's kind of interesting that like, I, I would have been fine if they would have left well enough alone, but like, Ron Evers does come back as like the anti-cyborg in like, uh, a later cyborg miniseries in the the late two thousands, if that's of uh, interest to anybody. But I, I you oh, know. he likes borged out too. Yeah, yeah, he's like the evil. You know, that's why I called him like the anti cyborg. He's like an evil, you know, bad version of cyborg or whatever. When you said anti cyborg, I was like, what is he half plant? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean like he, you know, like the whole the whole, you know, he basically. You know, Ron Evers becomes Cyborg's Venom. You know, it's like, you know, you stubbed my toe and threw me off a building and now I'm also a cyborg and I'm going to get revenge type thing. And 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 that's something that is worth, you know, positing that the the way of Cyborg's origin. And I know this can be said for a lot of superheroes. I, I know that it's not just him. He's not like, you know, the specialist snowflake. But it is true that with what he went through... And how he became cyborg, he could have easily became a villain. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I think I think you know today's I don't know SJW people might look at this origin and go, oh, that's bullshit, bro, or whatever. But like, I I kind of feel like I I just like the notion that he 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 doesn't he he doesn't blame other cultures or people for i mean he 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 knows he's been dealt a bad hand but he doesn't blame it on the wrong people like i like that scene where you know ron evers comes in and tries to tell him man it's whitey you know the man's like really giving you a bum rap hasn't he and now you're a cyborg and and then you know cyborg basically turns around and is kind of like my dad did this to me and he's black you know like like that kind of thing it's like it's like he's like what the hell's the matter with you like like this doesn't have anything to do with white people and if it was a white person that turned me into a cyborg i'd smack him in the face not every fucking white person in the world you know what i mean i'd find the one i'd find the one guy who dealt me the injustice and 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 you know take it to him but but i'm not gonna you know pin you know the, the 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 guilt or the problems or whatever it is on like an entire you know race or whatever just because you know something because I've been dealt a bad rap or whatever and I I I, I could see people maybe taking issue with it saying it's dated or it's in the wrong place or look you've got you know you've got a, a you know a white Jewish guy and a Hispanic you know artist you know telling the story of this black man and they can't possibly know what it's like or whatever but. I, I just, I, you know, I, I, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm sitting there going, oh, this is a, you know, decent comic and it tells a really good story or whatever. And, and, and you know, ultimately, the point of it is 
not that he ran with a gang, but that he he was exposed to that and chose something different for himself. You know, like and that that's supposed to be yeah. like a badge of honor. It's supposed to be part of his you know heroism or journey to being a hero and yeah maybe he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's a jerk sometimes to people but you know ultimately it's better to have a chip on your shoulder and be a jerk than you know become like i guess a super villain like tony's kind of positing uh, justin i was gonna ask you because you were talking about like the the animated version you you like better and stuff and you you've, you said you read the first like three or four trades or whatever like is cyborg like a character you've ever really been into or was he just one of those guys who you know it was like Oh, he's cool, but you know, he did not on you know, not really on your radar as like, you know, one of your faves or anything like that. Yeah, I think I think comic wise, he's never really been a character I've been exactly uh crazy about. But as far as like his animated appearances, like he usually has my attention or I'm usually like you know, it's kinda like Derek's like, Oh boy, a Bashir episode. <laughs> it's like if there was a cyborg centered episode of Teen Titans or Teen Titans Go, like I'm usually like really interested in it because i i really like that interpretation of the character yeah i remember that 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 hive like two-parter was really good and he was like the main focus of that that was that was a good one derek since you mentioned the the superpowers one did you like this more fleshed out version or because of your love of the the superpowers collection and the the tv show and all that do you kind of prefer the more simplified one I don't know that I see them as mutually exclusive, but I, I do see, I think, with Justin describing his enthusiasm for the, the Teen Titans, you know, the, the cartoon version, you know, the Booyah version, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like, I, I, I do see that the Superpowers version came from the same place. Like, he had that whole, man, I, I can't have a secret identity. I don't want to be part of the Superpowers team. But, like, by the end of it, they kind of basically make him a full-fledged member, and he kind of sees, like, okay, you know, I'll help you out with Darkseid and Alopalypse or whatever. Like, that's cool. And, like, I think because it was a TV scenario where they had to get to the status quo a lot quicker, it's like he had his arc and he had the chip on his shoulder, but he kind of lost it by the end of it so that, you know in the future episodes, it was just, like, him and Firestorm were buddies, you know, like, and I kind of like that, like, and, and, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I think maybe with the comics, you know, maybe it takes a lot longer to get to that point, or they're always trying to shake things up, so it's like, I can see, like, yeah, you know, Cyborg might have had his chip on his shoulder for a while, but you get into, like, you know, the, the Judas Contract era, and I don't, I don't think it's as, prominent you know like or or as as big of an issue and then you know the the further you get into it i mean i could understand somebody not picking up on cyborg who didn't have the the cartoon or, or toy history with it because i think by the time i was finally getting like teen titans from the direct market it's like that was back you know when they were doing the titans hunt thing and they blew up titans tower and then cyborg was this basically comatose you know robot who couldn't talk to anybody i mean i think the only thing left of him was like his face you know so it's like yeah they really bored yeah 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 so i mean you could see why you know oh well that might not be the most compelling you know version of the character to to latch on to and everything by that point but you know i i think part of it was the scarcity like you could never get that toy like it was really hard to find and i i just remember really wanting it because he was the 
you know, the new cool guy. On, it was like him and Firestorm were like, yeah, I want to, you know, it's like, and, and you know, you could find Firestorm pretty easily, I think, in that second series of Superpowers figures. But I remember, you know, working really hard and like, I saved up my like allowance and everything. And, and it the whole thing was going to be like, you're going to work hard during the summer and then you can get whatever you want from the superpowers collection. And it was like, Oh boy, you know? And, and that was, that was kind of the goal I was working towards that one <laughs> summer, you know? And it was like, when I went there, I mean, I really, really was hoping that I'd find that cyborg. And of course it was nowhere to be found, you know, it was like, I, I got, you know, a uh, a bunch of nice stuff you know i got like a batmobile and orion and samurai and i was like samurai you know like he's he's on the cartoon i know who he is you know and stuff like that and you know there were a bunch of there, there were a bunch of cool things but yeah i never i never found you know cyborg and of course later you find out he's like one of the most you know one of the more rare figures and everything and it wasn't until i bought that whole complete set of loose vintage toys like somewhat recently that i actually had a a superpower cyborg and that was like one of those things where i was like you're like sitting there going i can't believe i'm holding a cyborg in my hands you know like that's such a you know to me i was like i'd never thought i'd hold one of these you know but i was you, you, you totally squeezed his legs didn't you yeah yeah so i was like super excited <laughs> yeah i know your love of you know we've talked about this ad nauseum in the past on different comics me and you are, are, are fans of the old style coloring you know banana yellow iron man and kind of like pretty much white silver surfer but i gotta admit that vac metal on the old cyborg that, that just yeah, works for yeah the figure. yeah that is pretty cool like as far as firestorm because i know you like everything you like superpowers comics everything you even somewhat kind of tolerate <laughs> legends of tomorrow <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> yeah but no no I, I i know what you're saying like do i like all the the versions of cyborg that are out there like i, I i'd say pretty much i mean i i enjoy teen titans you know that cartoon i enjoy him in the the actual wolfman and perez run you know i i i, I I would say I even got a kick out of seeing him in his big bulked up mech form or whatever. I, I did think it got, I think the only version of Cyborg that I was always kind of like confused by is, I don't know if you guys have read that far into Teen Titans, but there was like an era where basically to get him out of that kind of mindless sort of giant mech suit version of him you know after the titans hunt like they turned him it was like they 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 saved his consciousness and then he was in this like gold like kind of almost liquid t2 terminator t1000 state where he was like basically it's like he had victor stone's face but he was this kind of gold t1000 that would like morph around and stuff and i never you know, huh. it, it was just one of those things where they were trying to, like, shake stuff up to shake stuff up. And I, I don't think I ever really catered or kowtowed to that that version of Cyborg. But, but I mean, other than that, like, I mean, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm, I, I was never really taken aback by them trying to include him on, like, the Justice League or Injustice or, or any, you know, exposure that he's gotten recently. And, and as far as the Teen Titans stuff, I mean, for the most part, I've enjoyed him in, in all his incarnations. And, and I, I think that was something that I, I liked because it wasn't like he was a legacy character or he wasn't a character that was trying to, you know, 
sort of, uh, I, I guess, go through the Transforma Flux device or whatever, you know, and then kind of come out the other end, you know, a different ethnicity or whatever. Like, he was just who he was from the beginning, and, and I liked him, and he had a, a, a friendly voice that I knew in Ernie Hudson as, you know, a Ghostbuster and stuff. So I think that's why I always kind of just thought he was... You know, he was a cool character. I liked him. And and I think maybe liking Transformers and mechs and robotics and things like that. I mean, I, I think that was all just... To, I, I don't think, as a kid, I appreciated the pathos of, you know, what that meant for him to be half-cyborg. So, I mean, I could understand maybe, you know, people kind of overthinking it and kind of being like, well, look, like, he can't can't get laid anymore you know like there there are things that he 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 will be missing like physical human contact because of his condition but i think when i was a kid it was just like oh cool man he can like swap out his hands and do like a sonic blast and be like booyah you know and i think that's why i think that's why people really really connect with that you know teen titans cartoon version too because it's it's such a enthusiastic version of that character when he said he was a decathlon athlete, that is my bad because I haven't seen that episode in years and years and years. And the only thing I really like remember besides like, you know, the brief origin is when he's introduced, he like jumped over the like football field goal post. So I thought he was a football player. No, no, no. I think I think the comics, he was definitely he played sports like like they, they talked about you know, how he, he played all kinds of sports, I think, in the comics. And I, I, I know for sure in the Jeff Johns, you know, Justice League thing, they definitely play up the whole, you know, football star thing. So I, yeah. I don't think that's, you know, I, I'm sure that was always part of his kind of, you know, background. But but I think the way I took it in that scientific journal, they seem to play up the, the beats in this origin story where he's like lifting weights and he's he's on the... the the gymnasium, you know, kind of doing the, the, the pole bars and all that kind of stuff. So it, it seemed like he was more of a, a well-rounded athlete, you know, as opposed to just focusing on one specific, you know, it wasn't like he was going to be like joining the NFL or something. Whereas I think, I think now they probably kind of present it that way, you know? Okay. Okay, cool. Wonder Woman is one of the greatest, most long-lived and visibly recognizable icons of female empowerment the world has ever known. That's a crushing weight of expectation to place on someone's shoulders. And Princess Diana of the Amazons has faced scathing criticism for her entire existence as a result. I'm Diablo Frank, and I've been a fan of the Amazing Amazon for my entire life. But she didn't become one of my absolute favorite superheroes until the 1990s. That doesn't seem all that long ago to me, but every year I meet more adults who are otherwise preoccupied getting born around them, so I guess it's been a spell. I try to be a good feminist and all-around decent guy, but I'm still a human being chock full of character flaws quirks, and hang-ups that make me less than anyone's ideal. Despite being an admirable heroine fighting for her rights in her satin tights, Wonder Woman is as human as Adam, and they have the same basic origin. But boy, did that guy make a mess of things. Shouldn't we extend someone with Wonder Woman's track record the same courtesy and empathy we can and should offer to the rest of the world? To be truthful, I'm not a typical fan of the Paradise Island set. I'm not big on mythology, and I'm highly critical of the most popular Themyscirin stories. I like it when Wonder Woman loses her powers and hangs out with a tiny blind Asian martial arts master named Ai Ching, or when she works at Taco Bell and helps collect 
get child support for a co-worker from a deadbeat mafioso dad, or when she rides around on kangaroo ponies from outer space and is a little too into bondage and spanking for the squares. Wonder Woman is great, but I really miss Diana Prince, the reminder that the heroine feels and fails and bleeds like the rest of us. That's why I call my podcast about her Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and the music playing in the background is from the off-model Kathy Lee Crosby TV movie from 1974, because I like to remember there's a woman behind all that wonder, and I'd like to talk about her if you care to listen on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. All right. Well, I, I think that kind of wraps up things on Cyborg and going in chronological order. That will bring us to our next Justice Leaguer, which is Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman! And that honor goes to Justin. So, Justin, why don't you tell us what issue you brought, and, and then we can go into it. I brought Wonder Woman issue number 319. It has a date of September 1984, and our story is titled Diana Prince, a Traitor. It was written by Dan Mishkin and penciled by Daring Don Heck. And for the story, the infamous Dr. Cyber is back, disguised as Diana Prince, she has infiltrated and stolen the launch codes for the country's nuclear missiles. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman battles a mechanical monstrosity which can change its shape at will. First, it's a bird, then a ball, and then a rocket ship. After the mechanism explodes, Wonder Woman returns to her identity as Diana, only to be immediately arrested. Her friends refuse to believe she is guilty, even as she manages to overpower and escape from the MPs. Meanwhile, Dr. Cyber proclaims the name Diana Prince will be dragged through the mud, and then, only then, will she personally destroy Wonder Woman. So this is probably the first issue of Wonder Woman I ever bought. And much like the Justice League Annual Number Two, I bought this in one of those blind bags of comics that back in the day you could get from like, you know, Rite Aid, Dollar General, Family Dollar, that's that kind of place. I'm not sure what comic enticed me to buy this set that Wonder Woman came with. Like I can't remember, but I know usually what enticed me would be like a Superman a Batman or like a Spider-Man cover like that would usually like get me to like buy those instantly. So I don't really know what enticed me to buy this. Like I just remember this being like one of those three or, or five issues I got to be perfectly honest, like for the longest time, like I never really paid much attention to Wonder Woman. Like in the comics, I grew up watching reruns of, you know, the Linda Carter 70s series, of course. But like, I don't know, like I always just thought of Wonder Woman as someone who was just part of like the Justice League or maybe, you know, the, the Super Friends or something. I mean, I, I knew she had her own ongoing solo title, but I, I don't know. I just kind of like thought of her as like maybe Scarlet Witch or Jean Grey. It's like, you know, they're they're just part of like, you know, the Avengers or the X-Men and like that's that's their function. I don't know why I thought that, but that's what I thought. But my curiosity got the better of me, I guess, because like, you know, in the nineties, Mike Diodato Jr. started drawing Wonder Woman and I'm a big fan of his artwork. And that's kind of what drew me to the Wonder Woman solo book. You know, I, I know a lot of people are going to be like, Oh, like you, you know, you, you totally skipped over like the, the legendary George Perez run. Like, I guess I kind of did, like I didn't, read that until maybe a little bit later like the 
Diodato run is what got me into, you know, reading Wonder Woman kind of off and on through the years. And, you know, I've, I've since went back and I've read most of the George Perez run and other stuff. Like I've read a, quite a bit of like the kind of middle silver age stuff. Like I've read some of the wacky stuff and I think I mentioned this before, but I really like the kind of powerless, you know, super spy era Wonder Woman, which anytime Danny O'Neill is asked about it, like on camera, he's always apologizing. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, dude, like, don't apologize. Like, that's cool. Yeah, that stuff is awesome. And what's interesting is that's where the character of Dr. Cyber originated from, which I always thought was, you know, kind of kind of interesting. And she's she has since returned in the Wonder Woman Rebirth title. Yeah, I, I always get get ready for the the misogynist emails. I always thought of her as the girl on Super Super Friends. I mean, I'm sorry, I was like eight, you know. <laughs> I was scared of cooties back then, you know. That's just how we thought, and you know, and I never really made a really solid connection to Wonder Woman. And I was reading this, and like, I am definitely more familiar with Wonder Woman now, and I know that she is a very important character in DC. I, I am totally like, I don't know, I guess the. Internet kids would say more woke to her importance as as one of the central heroes in that universe. But this book is nice because it being an older book, it gives you that sense that she's always been important. She's always been a major player. You know, she she was one of the biggest first female superheroes. That's why she was in Super Friends. It wasn't just because they needed a girl. It's because she is one of the big three. You know, you always think Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. That's like those are the main characters of DC. Those are like the linchpins. If you if you take one of those out. You, you could do damage to the universe. You would have a major point missing. And that's what I got from reading this because it's just a fun adventure. It's like, you know, I know you mentioned Dr. Cyber comes back, but it, it really is just a good, like, bad villain versus, you know, a really capable and, and, and awesome, you know, like superhero. I think mainly for me, like, the, the main thing that drew my eye when I was first getting, like, really into comics from the stands usually was I mean this had kind of gotten past the Perez run or, or, or whatever but I, I remember when Brian Ballin would do all the covers for Wonder Woman and a lot of those were during Diodato's run but he did a lot of covers even before then and I think because you know the Killing Joke and, and all those kind of books that that he had worked on it was like those always drew my eye but sometimes I would kind of pick up uh, Brian Boland cover and then the art inside wasn't the same so I'd feel like they had kind of hornswaggled me or whatever I think. <laughs> you know like there there was that aspect to it and you know later on I think you know in back issues and things like that I would I would check out the George Perez stuff and you know check out you know I, I remember getting the Mike Diodato stuff from the stores you know as it was coming out and and I think I was always drawn to like more the, the creative team than the character sometimes didn't burn do a short run he did he did he yeah. did it would be, you know it's like speak you know that I, I think i always treated wonder woman like that it wasn't so much that i was like i was in admiration or adoration of the character it was more like i'm reading this because george perez worked on it or i'm reading this because diodato did the art or i'm reading this because burns taking over you know like or i'm reading this because phil jimenez who you know, looks up to George Perez and is, you know, following in his footsteps is doing the art or, you know, whatever it was. And I always kind of looked at it in that way. Reading this for tonight's show kind of reminded me of when I started reading a lot of the pre-crisis Wonder Woman stuff. And I'd have to say that most of it was 
when I was, you know, prepping and doing research and just having fun reading comics for history of comics on film, you know? And, like, I think this issue tonight, this 319, I mean, I you know, I don't know if we've gotten into specifics on what we think of this issue exactly, but I, I feel like this is, and, you know, I don't know if people would say this is damning praise or what, but, I mean, I think this is a straightforward superhero story and it's kind of what i was pointing to in in our wonder woman show of of a comic that i could kind of wrap my head around like there's not a lot of that strange submissive subtext or william moulton marston stuff going on in the background it's just wonder woman's trying to you know stop dr cyber she's trying to fight this evil monster thing you know, and, and they're trying to, like, solve, you know, mysteries and stuff and, and, and stuff going on in Washington, D.C. And it's not, you know, I, I I guess to me it's just like, oh, this is kind of how I remembered Wonder Woman on the Super Friends or whatever or, or the Linda Carter show. So, I mean, in that sense, I think the cover by Edward Barreto is, is really nice. I mean, I really like that. And it, it may be a case of, you know, like I, I know Don Heck probably most famous for maybe what, Iron Man, I guess. You know, so it's like I, it may be a case of them trying to hornswoggle me again with a cool Edward Barreto you know, cover, and then on the interiors, it's it's a different artist, so you feel like you're getting a different feel, but I, I don't think that makes the artwork bad or anything like that. I, I, I kind of actually like it. I think also the fact that, like, it kind of deals with a lot of the main cast, like, it's not... Th this is a good example of something where it's not something that's impenetrable. Like, I, I feel like it gives you a good idea of, you know, you've got Etta Candy and Steve Trevor involved, but there's not too much complication going on with them at the moment, so it kind of works. Like, you know, if, if you're picking this up for the first time, you know, being introduced to the characters and everything. So, I mean, in that sense, I did I did kind of enjoy this. The The other thing that stood out to me was it was giving me flashbacks of, and, and you may appreciate this, Justin, but it was giving me flashbacks of Wonder Woman 323, where Etta Candy becomes, like, Wonder Etta or whatever, or Wonder Candy. <laughs> I forget what her name was, but it was something like that. Because they, they have that little subplot where she runs into Howard Huckabee. It was That that was the guy with the kind of, you know, I don't know, white man fro or whatever that bumps into Etta. And then he has that kind of thought to himself, you know, when they say, oh, look, Wonder Woman's outside, You're like, saving the day. And he's thinking to himself, hmm. And, like, his whole subplot, like, he was in, like, 10 or 15 Wonder Woman issues around this era. And his whole deal was he was going out with Etta Candy because he thought Etta Candy was the secret identity of Wonder Woman. And then that eventually comes to a head in that one issue where he's like, well, why don't you just change into Wonder Woman and save us, Etta? And she's like, I'm not fucking Wonder Woman. You know, like, and then they, they have this device where, you know, I guess it grants the wish of anybody. So I think like Dr. Psycho, who's like this little, kind of depraved trollish midget you know becomes like this male personification of wonder woman or something and then Etta candy uses it to become like her own version of wonder woman to like fight like the silver swan and and that weird wonder man version of dr psycho but like it, it kind of made me think of like those kind of issues or you know I, I guess like when they were doing the whole earth 2 wonder woman to tie into the 
the season one of Wonder Woman, like, you know, just kind of to, to me, like very straightforward, you know, like, you know, Dan Mishkin, Jerry Conway, you know, like those kind of stories where it's like, look, this is, you know, World War Two, you know, she's fighting the good fight or look, you know, we're moving her to Washington, D.C., just like the TV show. And, you know, here she is and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I also kind of was reminded on like how much Steve Trevor's like twisted kind of continuity kind of is like right up there with like you know black canary and hawkman you know so like there was that too where it's like steve was dead and then he wasn't and then he was the god eros and then he wasn't because he brought brought back and then they gave him his memories and he was from a parallel world but he had the memories of the earth one guy and i was just like oh yeah i forgot like how complicated all that was you know one thing a lot of people tend to hop on the train with as far as arguments about especially more popular characters is their rogues gallery you know certain characters like the flash before he became popular they were like you know what does the flash do and then everybody realized he has this huge rogues gallery and they're like now they're almost as famous as he is with wonder woman I always thought that that was one of her problems you know at the top of my head i could rattle off like you know cersei aries dr psycho and Derek mentioned silver swan i really didn't know anything about dr cyber or any of these uh, does wonder woman have a much beefier rogues gallery than i'm aware of oh and uh, cheetah that i'm aware of and i just am not exposed enough to her to know that she has like a, a good set of villains to go against and there's also Gigana, who was a freaking gorilla at first, which creeps me out. But yeah. <laughs> well, what about you, Justin? Is, 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 am I missing out on some of the the villains she's faced, or or or, his, or is her her rogues gallery kind of weak, and she does tend to step up to the plate and fight those menaces that like fight all the superheroes? You know. I, I think you named like most of the. I guess I'd say like most infamous of her villains. But, you know, if, if you want to say, like, she has a weak rogues gallery compared to, say, like, Batman, Superman, or The Flash, like, I would probably agree with you. Like, I think some of those villains you named, like, those are the strong villains, but I think they, they from my point of view, I think they tend to be, like, overused quite a bit. Except maybe Dr. Cyber. I don't think, you know, it's like yeah. she was in the Denny O'Neill run, and then she appeared right here for maybe three or four issues and then i want to say that was it for her until i guess like right now with like the reaper stuff where she's been reintroduced but like you know most of those other guys it's like you know with perez it was like mostly aries right and then you had some cheetah stuff later on and some thirsty stuff like kind of i think like right before the diodato stuff but but yeah like you know a lot of the golden and silver age stuff was kind of like, you know, you know, wacky stuff where she would fight like, you know, underwater aliens from some other planet, or she was like trying to, <laughs> she was like trying to like lasso a like tsunami or or something, like that. <laughs> or you know, well, like there, something there, like that. You could say like a lot of the pre-crisis stuff was, or golden age stuff was, was sort of abandoned too after a certain yeah. point like especially in post-crisis it's not like it's not like they went out of their way to make like paulo von gunther or anything in in the post-crisis universe like that that kind of character because it seemed like it was inexorably tied to like world war Two and nazis and all that kind of stuff you know so like there there are those characters i mean you know as far as like recent stuff like i i tend to always point to this because i i 
really like that Gail Simone Wonder Woman run, but like I think I think my favorite of her villains of of you know quote unquote you know relatively of course because this is pre the New Fifty Two, but I I always like Genocide, who's kind of like her Wonder Woman's Doomsday. You know, it's like she's she's like this kind of you know unstoppable force that you know that they have this big drag out fight and I, she like breaks the fucking lasso and like it's just like all this cool cool shit that goes down so like i'd point to her as like one of the villains i think that is really really cool but you know for some of the older golden age stuff like i said you know you've got like paula von gunther and what's her nuts who was in the the movie i can't think of her name now the the uh the, oh, the, the the doctor with the face mask thing, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, like 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 she was part of like villains. Um, I forget what they called it. I think it was like Villains United or something. Like imagine like the Superman Revenge Squad, but like for Wonder Woman, because it was like her, Giganta, Cheetah. Like they all like teamed up to like beat up Wonder Woman. Kind of like Wonder Woman had her own Sinister Six, but not six people. You know. And I I will I'll just back Derek up. Like I I really do like that Gail Simone run. Like, I remember just sitting down and reading most of that run in, like, a 12-hour period. Like, I just kind of devoured it. I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah, I, I, I will admit my lameness. Again, like I said, I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm not a huge... Well, I'm, I'm probably not a huge Wonder Woman fan. That's probably just what it is. My Probably my favorite stories with her, I actually did like Infinite Crisis, where, you know, she took out Max Lord, mainly because I like Blue Beetle, and I was like, yeah, fuck him up! And also... Derek, Justin, you can hate me if you want, but I always thought she would, like, when they allowed her to shine, like, because they, they focus on so many characters, especially Batman, I actually liked her in, like, uh, the Justice League cartoons, like the, J, you know, JLU and all that stuff. I, I kind of hated, like, when they introduced <laughs> her, no, well, like, when, you know, when they introduced her with that, like, that big, you know, three-part premiere or whatever like i kind of hated that they kind of tied it into this you know war of the worlds s kind of story like i that always really rubbed me the wrong way like i never really was happy about that like i think i remember like going to like toon zone or something right after it aired and i was like this is you know this is bullshit i hate this like but you, you know guys back me up or something yeah yeah i mean i you know not not to get to a whole you know, Justice League cartoon rant or whatever, but I mean, I, I do remember that weird feeling of how, you know, Superman and Batman had their own cartoons and had so much setup, and then there was just, like, this random pan of, like, hey, here's everybody else, including Wonder Woman, and, like, I know it's kind of bias, but I, I feel like if it was everybody else except Wonder Woman, I might have been okay with it, but because she was lumped in with the, oh, yeah, pan to like everybody else so we don't have to tell all their origins and just they, they've always <laughs> been here signing night <laughs> yeah and you're you're just kind of like oh man like that she she needs a little more than that man like you know like you can't just like pan to her and then that's that's her introduction you know like i i, I always remember kind of being disappointed by that if it helps i i, I did hate the the hinted at and it was like maybe a few episodes not many and then it was kind of resolved, I think, quickly, because I think they realized that, like, it wasn't going anywhere. I really did hate the whole idea that, like, Batman and Wonder Woman, like, were attracted to each other. Some people kind of love that. But, I mean, I know I know. lately I've been watching Justice League Action, and I, I kind of adore that show. And, like, it's interesting how on there, you know, they, they play up the whole, you know, 
new 52 you know wonder woman and superman are dating thing and it's it's very minor in the cartoon but it is there and then speaking of like villains and stuff like i, I kind of like the idea of like they they had a sequence where it's like cersei and luthor team up and it's like one of those things where hippolyta is like why would you bring this man to the island you know like <laughs> what can he do and then like i think luthor like i don't know punches out like wonder woman or stops her from you know i don't know hitting her with a sword or something and and she's like he can do that you know or whatever you know there's just like fun yeah. stuff like that that i enjoy so i mean there's 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 cool things i think that that can be found i mean i i get what you're saying though because i think when i was younger i i think that's what i was trying to impart when i kind of said that the way i rationalized my buying of wonder woman when i was a, a teenager was not so much like i wasn't trying to be like oh i'm a young you know adolescent male i'm buying it because wonder woman's hot it was more like i tried to rationalize it in terms of i'm following creators that i enjoy you know like that's and and, and i think that that ties into what you're saying that i wasn't you know, I, I think that was my way of saying, well, I'm not exactly a fan of Wonder Woman, but I am going to, you know, expose myself to more of these comic books because I have a fascination with the the art or the writing or, you know, w whatever it was. But, you know, again, it, it took me a while before I sort of just said, hey, look, I, I enjoy Wonder Woman comics and stuff like that, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, I guess, you know, people come to that of their own, you know own volition or whatever but i mean i i would say that now i mean you know i i, I think you know having had an opportunity to read a lot of them like yeah there there are things about the early run of wonder woman that always will weird me out and i don't think i'll ever understand but i mean you know like justin's been saying you know the the denny o'neill kind of emma peel run like that was really fun to read you know the to, to me like the the jerry conway you know earth 2 you know kind of basic stuff where where she you know she fights like the old school version of cheetah or the the uh you know domain version of cheetah or you know the um you know like a lot of the nazi type characters like panzer fist or whatever the hell they're called you know like they, there's there's a lot of cool fun stuff i think in those runs that that i've enjoyed so i i um you know, again, like, I, I think this is, you know, this issue is an example of that kind of, you know, straightforward Earth One Wonder Woman kind of story, you know, where it's like she's the invisible jet flying Wonder Woman, the one that Steve Trevor's her boyfriend, you know, that's best friends with Etta Candy, you know, that they all work for, you know, the government in Washington, D.C., and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's all kind of, you know, straightforward, superheroic kind of adventure and i i kind of appreciate that you know like you know because i i i think there's you know these days it's like everybody wants to kind of you know re-examine all the subtext and and that kind of stuff but i i kind of like just the straightforward like heroic fun of, of a lot of those issues did steve ever know that she was wonder woman or did he always think that she was just diana prince uh most times like it's kind of complicated but if there were periods where he knew it was like followed in tandem by his like immediate death or like 
you know, like like you know, basically anything that shook up anything that shook up the status quo major league like didn't last very long because it would it would basically be undone. I mean, there there were a lot of things that like because if I recall correctly, I think. Steve Trevor might have known before she became the the Emma Peel version, but then I think he he dies like immediately. I think in that run, and then and then you know when they bring him back, then it's like he has no memory that he knew who she. You know what I mean? Like uh, like after that, it's like an instant reset. Where in you know, it's like, oh, you came back to life, and oh, by the way, you know, you, you don't know any of this stuff that you knew, like, you know, 80 issues ago, when right before you died, you know, type Well, thing. I, th- I think that was, like, always the appeal, though, of, like, Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman in that. It's not that Diana was hiding anything from him. It was that he admired Wonder Woman. He thought that she was a hero, but he loved Diana Prince, or, you know, he was in love with Diana Prince, and... You know, I, I think there was a part of her that didn't like, you know, want to taint that. I, I could be wrong. I could, I could be reading too much into that. I don't know. I think I think Steve Trevor loved Wonder Woman. Like, I, I I don't I don't think he had eyes for Diana Prince. I mean, at least at least not the, you know, not the the Silver Age pre Crisis version. But that's okay. that's kind of my take on it. Like, I think I think he was always like that's why you, you, you were always supposed to be like, well, what's his nickname for Wonder Woman? It was Angel. You know, and so it's sure, like yeah. that that was like one of those things where like when when they did this super complicated thing where it's like, oh, Steve Trevor died and then he came back as like the love god Eros. And then this other Steve Trevor came back and he was the real Steve Trevor. But then they retconned it so that he wasn't the real Steve Trevor. And then they gave him like the Steve Trevor's memories from Eros. And like you knew it was the real Steve Trevor finally when they did that, because when he wakes up, he's like, hey, angel. And you're just like, oh, thank God. It's, it's, <laughs> who cares about all this bullshit? This is the real Steve Trevor. Fuck all that rest of that stuff. Like, now, now we're finally back to normal. Who cares how we got here? Oh, I forgot to mention, I also really liked the DC Direct 2 video Wonder Woman movie. I was like, oh, that, yeah, that, yeah. Was that was, that yeah. was a good one. That was a great yeah. one. Yeah. Carrie Russell is Wonder Woman and no, no qualms about chopping off Ares' head at the end. Good stuff. Right. Nathan Nathan Fillion and Steve Trevor, a wonderful, wonderful Steve Trevor. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was yeah. Totally if if you guys haven't watched it, I know it's not you guys, I know you obviously have. But if anybody anybody who's listening hasn't watched it yet, because I, I know those those discs were coming out kind of sporadically back then. They and... they, they, they re released it when yeah. when the new Wonder Woman movie oh, came yes. out. So so people should probably be able to get a hold of that pretty easily at this point. That that is kind of heavily based on the first six issues of George Perez's run. I mean, obviously, it's not as it's not as intensive or detailed as those six issues of George Perez's run, but but that that film, that two thousand nine direct to video Wonder Woman film, is heavily based on those those that early six issue arc. You know, the the sort of first post crisis arc of Wonder Woman. That, that 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 kind of stuff makes makes me want to read more Wonder Woman and be more knowledgeable about like you know such a uh, important character. I, I'm just happy that a few minutes ago you admitted you're lame. Well, I, I think I had that like you know I, I I feel bad about having that conception as a kid because as a kid you're I mean you're stupid you're a kid you know I mean you're like you know she's a girl I don't know if I like you know like that's why boys don't buy girl toys. Well, I think to put it in context, 
at that same era where you weren't sure if you were willing to like Wonder Woman was probably the same era where you thought like Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby art was like old and not cool like Todd McFarlane. You know what I mean? Like, right. like you were just like like all those things. Like, oh, you're just a stupid kid and you didn't know what the fuck you were talking about. Like, so it's it's you know maybe it wasn't so much that Tony was lame. It's just you know like like all of us, he he went through his stupid kid phase and had some stupid kid thoughts and just like me thinking cyborg got mauled by a bear and java <laughs> turns people into fucking frogs and eats them you know like we all had our stupid kid phase right yeah and, and i'm really glad that the movie did so well this year I, I know a lot of people gave it praise and i know a lot of people say this over and over again but i would like to say that if any character could have made people rethink their ideas about DC movies and make it into a positive light, it is pretty fucking awesome that it was Wonder Woman. And also, even though I, I, I admitted my unfamiliarity with a lot of her history, and to be stupid again, because, you know, when I was in the 80s, I was a kid, I don't think anybody will give me any uh, shit for this. Linda Carter was hot as Wonder Woman. <laughs> she was. She was extremely Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, when Batman fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? That's all I got. This was a good issue. <laughs> well, thanks, Justin. Thanks for bringing Wonder Woman 319. I think we'll we'll move on to Tony and Tony. Uh, you had the character of the Dark Knight detective himself, and why don't you tell us what issue you brought, and and then we can discuss it a little bit. Okay, I'm going to ruin everybody's life. My my character is Batman, who I really like. He is one of my favorite characters. However, the the book I chose has kind of two reasons why I chose it. This book is called Mightfall, Batman Mightfall. It is basically a prestige format one-shot, and it's basically loosely tied to the Legends of the Dark Knight comic because one of the characters is from that series. This was from 1995, and the cover artist is Kevin O'Neill. He also does the interiors. The writer is Alan Grant, so you know you're in for a fucked-up ride. The color is done by Digital Chameleon. I only say that because this is when digital coloring really started to really get forward and stuff. And the coloring is great in this. I think the art is great in this. It's, it's just wacko gonzi. So, might fall. Let's go into this. I'm not going to read the entire synopsis. I had to, like, go for a synopsis because so much happens in this damn book that everything comes at you like a mile a minute. So, I am cribbing a, a basic synopsis. Bob Overdog is an inmate at Arkham Asylum. 
He admits that while he may have been a bad man at one point, a strung out drug addict, he is no longer addicted and is now a hero, a champion. Despite his protest, Dr. Arkham has to managed to convince him to keep a diary of his time at Arkham. His first two entries are uneventful, simply saying nothing interesting happened. Third, however, mentions he may have had a flashback hallucination, but he is unsure. The following two days are the same as the first. The sixth day, he writes that a man named Bane blew up the asylum, saying I thought it would be peculiar that the guards would not warn the inmates before having him do that. He basically thought Bane was actually working there. I didn't realize that he was actually a super villain. During the commotion, several inmates break out of their cells. Of course, one being the Joker. And he's going to set Bob free, and he's on his way to torture Jeremiah Arkham. After turning he's a villain, Bob attempts to fight him, only for Joker to shoot him in the chest. <laughs> That's the end of the comic. No, I'm just kidding. Joker runs off, and Bob gets up. And he's been the diary he's been keeping uh, saved him, and he is still alive. Escaping the asylum, Bob travels around Gotham City and attempting to do good. He decides that before he can proceed, he must get rid of everything that reminds him of his form for his former self, starting with his name. He chooses the moniker of Underdog, after determining the last name would be too threatening for a hero. I smell a lawsuit. Arriving at a graveyard full of junkies, he attacks them, trying to convince them to give up substance abuse and join him in a crusade for good. In response, the men beat him and hold him to a tombstone, intending to kill him. Before they can, the leader decides, since Bob showed them the error of the ways, they will pay him and give him some of their drugs. They force-feed him three LSD tablets before knocking him out and running off. As the thugs flee, they are spotted by Batman. See? He showed up for a minute. <laughs> Who pursues them? Moments after he leaves, Batmite appears, pleading for help. Batmite is a canon character. He does exist in the comics. He's not just some wacky thing that they made up for the cartoons. So, shut up, all you naysayers. I know you guys aren't saying that, but I've heard people be like, Batmite's stupid. He's supposed to be stupid. As the drugs take hold, Bob staggers to the top of the church, intending to wait out the effects. Reaching the top of the tower, Batmite appears before him, begging for his help as he did Batman. Blaming the Mite for his incarceration after what happened during their last meeting in Legends of the Dark Knight, he strangles Batmite, though he believes him to be a drug-induced hallucination. Moments later, he finds himself paralyzed by the imp's powers. He's kind of like Mitzelplik. He has those kind of powers. Then he explains why he is there. Batmite had destroyed Arkhamite Asylum, setting free all the villains inside. Banemite, not Batmite. Banemite. Batmite fought for weeks to round up the escape temps in a process to which used a majority of his magic energy. With his powers weakened, Bane might appeared, beating Batmite in battle with the help of his toxics drug before breaking his back over his knee. Leaving for dead, Bane might sets out to conquer the rest of Might World before breaking through dimensions to conquer Earth, then the entire universe. Batmite is used the last of his magic to heal himself and teleport to Earth to seek help. Overjoyed that the perfect chance to prove himself has arrived before him, Bob gladly accepts the offer for help. Donning an outfit sim similar to John Paul Valley's bat suit, that would be Azbat's, he takes the name Overbat, leaping from the top of the tower, only to be reminded that Bat might had not yet given him the ability to fly. Meanwhile, in Might World, a parallel of the Justice League America appear to challenge Bane Might. They are quickly defeated after he administers another dosage of toxics, all of them being tied up by Bane Might's henchmen. Robin Might remarks that once the Super Might family return from their mission in space, he will pay for his crimes. Bane Might simply laughs, smacking Robin Might's head around and into Green Lantern Might. As Bane Might awaits the return of Super Might family, he broods. And man, does he brood. One of his henchmen asks why he broods, receiving an angry response, and then a summarized history of why he's always brooding, explaining that his father, from the time he was born, kept him in a metal cage, and only activities he was able to do was doing isometric exercises and brooding, both of which he excelled at. And then as a story can be read in death by buying Vengeance of Bane, $4.95 on sale soon. Back on Earth, Overbat is grappling from building to building while exploring his new powers his suit gives him. With his binocular vision, he spots a mugging, rotating his hand to blow a billboard over on the two 
two criminals. Batmite remarks that they have no time to lose and must go to Mite World. In Mite World, the Super Mite family has finally returned, destroying several things as they descend from the sky. Preparing for battle, one of the Bane Mites henchmen injects a special toxic formula in them. They fight, and the Super Mites release new toxic must contain Crypto Mite tonight, as their attacks were having no effect. Bane Mite defeats them all, taking one last dose of toxic before blasting him from existence. I'm sure Derek was happy about that. That probably just really made him mad. Overbite, <laughs> Overbad appears in Might World on a small bridge suspended over a volcano. Though he is afraid to move, as one false step could lead him falling to his death, he proceeds anyway. Batmite congratulates him, saying that placing him there was the only way for him to fully prove himself, and he was truly a hero. He reveals that he has recruited the last of the Might heroes during this time, appearing with Might versions of lesser known and Vertigo characters. When I saw this, it really fucked me up. I was like, what the hell? Elsewhere, Bane Might whips the other Might villains, commanding them to work faster. Penguin Might complained, saying that the villains agreed to join forces with Bane Might as partners, not slaves. In response, Bane Might whips off part of his nose and his hat, saying that all they are to him is slaves, except for Raz All Might. The villains are forced to complete work on the cloning machine. As his finish, it creates duplicates of Bane Might, giving the original an army to take over Earth and the universe with. Overbed arrives, ordering Bane Might and his army to surrender. Unimpressed by the mere human, Bane Might orders his army to attack. Overbet begins to glow, destroying the clones. He states that one time, while high, he read something he never forget. That's when the golden light of purity shines. No evil or corruption can exist in the glow that it casts. I didn't actually know this, but the synopsis I'm reading, it's actually from a Silver Surfer comic. Probably. As Baymite is destroyed, Bob remarks that he is good. As the other mites congratulate Batmite for bringing Overbat to help, Bob removes his cow, spying the toxic injector Baymite used. Though he resists, he finally gives in to huffing the fumes, much to Batmite's horror. Bob says that a small amount would not be enough to harm him, and then his head explodes. On Earth, two police officers investigating the graveyard, finding the broken body of a man lying against a tombstone. It's Bob Overdog, and he's dead. And they also suspect from the drugs laying on the ground that he had gotten high and jumped off the church tower to his death. Very sad, but it's okay. In Might World, Batmite and the others hold a memorial for Bob, saying that despite failing to give up drugs, he did save their entire world and should be honored for his strength and heroism. He then unveils a golden statue of an unmasked Bob and the engraving on the base saying Bob Overdog, aka Overbat, the man who saved the world. Batmite then, just like Porky Pig, goes, that's all folks, before disappearing. And that is Mightfall. I've read this twice, once a long time ago and once for this podcast. And even then, I needed a synopsis just to give you the incredible, like, bunch of crap that flies at you at this. But it is a really fun story. I enjoyed it. And I'm just wondering what you guys thought of it. <laughs> well, I, I can't be mad that Bane might beat up the Super Mites because clearly this was the fever dreams of a brain-addled drug addict. And True. it's not in canon and doesn't count. But, you know, the other thing about this is this is like the prestige format 495 Nightfall tie-in you didn't know you didn't have and probably don't want. But, like, it's it's funny. Like, I mean, obviously it's 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 a satirization of the whole nightfall event craze type thing and i mean i can appreciate it for that and and i i think there is some kind of a sense of irreverence even you know in the story that this spun out of you know the legends of the dark knight issue that basically reintroduced batmite to the post-crisis universe because you know it's like dc at the time was so desperately trying to get away from any of the quote-unquote silly silver age stuff that happened to Batman in the 50s and 60s or whatever, you know, and, and Batmite was certainly a part of that. And so, 
you know, you had Alan Grant having, oh, well, I'm going to clever, clever Batmite into the post-crisis continuity. I'll, I'll tell all these guys it's just, you know, a dude who's, like, totally hopped up on fucking crank or whatever that's seeing Batmite. But, you know, meanwhile, Batman's not going to believe him. But then it's like, oh, look, I, I've managed to get Batmite into a post-crisis story and, and all the editors are not, you know, you know, running down my, you know, you know, they're, they're not all running down my neck about, you know, that, that we can't have silly Silver Age shit because he's, he's made it this quote unquote realistic thing where it's just a, a drug addict who's seeing shit. So, you know, you, you do kind of question like, oh, well, um, odds are he just leaped down at the, the, you know, grave stone and smacked his head open and that was really all there was to this story but you know in this he goes off and kind of has a weird fever dream satirization of you know dc comics events from the 90s and you know i, I mean i'm sure justin will point out some things that he thought was funny as well but i mean that that's kind of how you have to view this is just kind of tongue-in-cheek and you know obviously you know you've got bane might with you know, muscles bigger than, you know, it's like his head is the size of a pea, and, his whole and like, muscle. his whole, you it's know, so the, the top half of his body looks like freaking, you know, a major bummer or something, you know, like, it just looks like extremely chiseled and, and, and ridiculously proportioned, you know, and so you just, you know, I mean, that's, that's basically all you, you know, you're meant to do is just kind of chuckle at that. So, I mean, in that sense, I, I think it's okay for a chuckle. I can imagine, I mean, think about it though. Like this was released in 1995 and it had a cover price of 495. I mean, I can imagine if I spent five bucks on this and it was just a, a satirization chuckle that I would probably be disappointed. Like, I, I can imagine my, you know, whatever, you know, I'm trying to think, what what was I, like, 17, 18 at the time? I can imagine kind of, uh, like, I, I think I always, like, was overly critical of prestige format books, because I'm like, if you're going to charge me five bucks for a freaking book, this better be worth the five dollars. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could see myself reading this if it was like a a buck 75 or something at the time and being like, okay, that's fine. It's a maybe like a backup in four issues or something like that. Yeah. 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 But not, not like uh prestige format, you know, four ninety five book that is just, you know, a, a satirization chuckle, you know, like that's, that's the only, that's the only damning criticism I'd level against it. But, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I don't think that I've ever really looked at this as like a, a you know, it's like it's basically a commentary on Nightfall, and also in some weird way, it's kind of like a, a after the fact tie into it as well. But you know that that's sort of neither here nor there. What do you think, Justin? Did it did it hurt your feelings, or were you were you in on the joke? I had never read this before, so when you were mentioning Nightfall, I was like, well wait what what is this and when i started reading it i think it took a while for me to get into it when he started interacting with the joker like i think that's where i started to kind of like get into it but i did end up liking it and i do like how it kind of lampoons not only 
Nightfall, but the whole death and rebirth of Superman, because I really like those scenes where, like, Superman and all those guys are coming in and trying to fight him and stuff, and they're kind of like, they're kind of like mocking the whole, like, death of Superman hype and everything. You Like, you even see something like that on the Superman's coffin and everything, but, like, there were a lot of, like, little moments that I like that make me chuckle. It's like when the Justice League is fighting Bane, or Bane might. Aquaman is just kind of like hitting him with like a fish and that, that was cracking me up. What kind of like made me chuckle was when all the Vertigo guys showed up and especially it's like John Constantine has dialogue and it's just like 90% of it is just kind of like bleeped <laughs> out or like you know, comic book bleeped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Oi, mate, we're going to bleep and then we're going to saw it off and bleep, bleep, bleep. And then... Another thing I noticed is, like, Robot Man shows up, and he has, like, a coin slot in his head, and, like, there's, like, a quarter going into the top of it, and, like, that kind of stuff was cracking me up, man. Like, I, 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 like I said, I think it took me a while to, like, kind of, you know, switch my brain from, you know, you know, super serious to, like, kind of, like, something that's going to, like, be funny, you know, you know, even though it has, like, a really... It has like this really kind of like super serious bookend where at the very beginning we see that you know this is a real guy in Arkham Asylum and he's like a drug addict. He's trying to overcome this. And then at the very end, it's extremely serious because you see that like he's basically jumped off and killed himself. And he's like yeah. experienced all this in his mind, you know, at at, at some point before he died. But like so it's it's kind of hard to switch back and forth sometimes, but like the the whole meat of the story, like I think, like I said, it took me a while to get into it, but once I got into it, I was like, dude, this is cool. Like you know, like you know, Bane's like knocking all these guys around. Like he punches the Flash out of his costume. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, dude, that's awesome. And then he's like smacking Robin in the head, and then the whole fight with like the Superman family, like I. I, I I really like that. And there's like there's this scene where like Superman's like, I'll use my heat vision and Superboy's like, I'll I'll join in. And Supergirl's like, I'll use my X ray vision to see what kind of underpants he's wearing. I, I mean give him radiation poisoning. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there there was a lot of like little jokes that had me cracking up in this and you know, I, I've said this before, like whenever we have a show like this, I'm I'm always kinda curious and also afraid of what you're gonna pick you know, it, it might be something really bizarre and interesting that i've never heard of like night cat or it may be something where you're just like hey you guys are gonna watch four hours of wrestling and then you're gonna be immediately killed afterwards like brian <laughs> <laughs> but like this this is a good pick i did like this tony Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I think I accidentally sent Brian to a peace conference. As far as this go, I, I said I had two reasons for picking this. One, I think it is funny. I think it's hilarious. I think it's a, a good joke comic. And one of the things I really liked when I was younger, before this even came out, was issues, uh, not issues, but series like What the and, and Damage Control, which were totally played up for laughs, but they did have serious moments. Well, not What the, but Damage Control did. And I've always liked that. I, I like funny comic books. I like comic books that are, you know, humorous to be humorous. Probably why I like JLI so much. The other reason is a lot of people know my love for Azrael. And a lot of people think that, you know, I probably get pissy because of the way he was treated. 
but this book pretty much shows why he didn't last very long. <laughs> Bob in his overbat form is very relentless and, you know, like a dogged, like superhero, like John Paul. Sadly, he's a better man than John Paul because he, he wants to be a good guy. And I think that was also the commentary. You know, Jean-Paul kind of didn't care if he was a good guy. Again, that's that's where the mocking comes from. It is sad that what happens to Bob, because even though he was a drug addict and probably just a scumbag criminal at one point in his life, he really did thought he really did think that he had gotten somewhere. He thought he had improved himself and he was a better man. And all it took was getting beaten up and forced with drugs and Everything goes bad, and he is, he is a real character. He's a canon character who is in Legends of the Dark Knight. It's not just a comedy insertion. I, I guess my feelings as far as what Derek said about it being expensive, I did not get this off the spinner rack. I got this from a friend of mine who wanted who let me borrow it because he read it and he loved it. And he was like, here, borrow this and, and tell me what you think. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious, and it, it did kind of put me in my place too because I, I was one of those people who was so annoyed that like they got rid of Azrael and like, man, he was cool. And then, you know, after you're reading it, you're like, man, I take this shit too much seriously. If DC can make fun of themselves for this, I, I should, you know, not be so butthurt. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why I, I like this 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 issue so much, because I like Batman so much. The fact that they're willing to laugh at Batman and the whole, you know, Nightfall thing and be like, hey, we, we know some of it was kind of weird. Some of it didn't make sense. And also, I could have brought any Batman comic to this show that I wanted. And there's a lot of great serious ones. I could have brought, you know, hell from the past of Batman. I could have brought, you know, the first time he goes to crime alley in the comics, or I could have brought the first appearance of the Joker or something. But I, I think that's been done before. And I don't, you know, like you and Derek have not read this, Justin, you didn't read Nightfall. And is it a great classic for posterity reasons? Probably not, but I tell you this much, you could probably find this prestige format for a lot less than cover price nowadays, and it's a fun read. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you could. What, was there any other parodies you've read over the years from, from any kind of series, even if it was like, you know, we, we all know about like the, uh, the, the golden oldie Aunt May you know, <laughs> issue of, uh, of uh, Editor's Month from Spider-Man and stuff. Like, have, have there ever been like any send-ups? of either a popular popular storyline or popular superhero that you were just like, yeah, I really dig that. Something that Derek introduced me to uh, several years ago when we started doing this was that I think it's called like Superman, Batman world's funnest where it has like Batmite and M Mr. Mixie's Putlick. They're kind of like fighting each other and they're kind of like going through different worlds and fighting each other. And like they, they encounter dark side, which is my favorite part. But like, I, I really love that stuff. Like, I think that's great. And I think, I think once I kind of like got into this, I kind of was like, oh yeah, this is a little bit like world's funnest, only, you know, a bit, a bit more twisted and with like kind of disturbing artwork. <laughs> I think, I think like, you know, if, if people get a kick out of things like ambush bug, they would probably really appreciate this. I, I, I think for myself, I mean, you, you already mentioned this, but I, I would probably point to those early issues of what the, because like those are the ones that I've always kind of chuckled to myself about. You know, I love, I love the, you know, piggy, piggy, burning bright, deep fat frying in the night, you know, like that, or, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, let's let this dog join the X-Men. It's like, does he have a mutant power? Well... It's like, does he have a name? Cavorterax. Good enough. Put him in a costume. You know, like th those kind of things. Like, 
I, I, I kind of, I, I think, you know, that might be a good example of something that's comparable to this, that's making fun of a big event, but it's a big X-Men event. You know, it's the whole, you know, they, they, they at the time were making fun of Fall of the Mutants in, I think it was like issues like three, three and four of, of what the, and like that was, that was the whole gag. And, and, and what I liked about that is the art was played so straight too, like, I, I think it was like I, I want to say like Bill Skinkevich or you know so, so, some it was some real like very serious kind of art but yet it it still was played up for that kind of parody and laughs and everything so like I kind of I I, I think that was like I forget what they called it but it was like I think it was like you know. It was, fall it was, down of the mutants or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something something that was making fun of fall of the mutants, you know, summer beach party fall of the mutants or you know whatever it was, you know. But I think I think that's very much comparable to to what they were going for in in Mightfall. I also like the uh, Nick Fury retired agent of Shield mini story. That was that was a good one. But yeah, that, that that's that's the thing I always get annoyed about with certain fans, quote unquote. And we were talking about real fans earlier when you watch something like Brave and the Bold. Or, you know, classic Batman TV series with Adam West. And there is humor there, and there is some stuff that is played for laughs. So many people get, like, angry and butthurt, and they're just like, these are cops. They're not supposed to be funny. These are serious stories. And blah, blah, blah. Hero, hero, hero. Dark, gritty. And just... And I'm like, dude, you can have both. If you want your, your grim and gritty, or you want your more serious stuff, it's totally out there. You can totally fucking buy it. No one says you have to read the funny stuff or watch the funny stuff. But if you get a kick out of it, you know, if you like Peter Porker, the spectacular spider ham, who are you to judge me for enjoying a funny story? And, and to back you up, like when I was reading Batmite's dialogue, like I totally had Paul Rubin's voice in my head. And, and that, <laughs> that totally goes back to like the Brave and the Bolt cartoon episodes. And suddenly, dramatically framed in the doorway is the Dark Knight himself. I don't need a play by play. Yeah, and to, to bring it sort of full circle, I, I think talking about, you know, real fans or true fans or what have you, you know, I, I feel like a lot of those people are the same people that will, you know, kind of yell and lambast Teen Titans Go and, you know, just bringing it back to Cyborg. You know, I mean, there are, there are parodies in Teen Titans Go that are hilarious, you know, like, you know, Weird Al doing the voice of Darkseid, you know, like, stuff like that <laughs> that's just, like, you know, hilarious. So it's like, they're, they're you know, I mean, y you kind of have to have a sense of humor about some of the stuff. It can't all be, you know, super, super serious oars in the end of the world all the time, you know, like, and, and so in that sense, I think you just, you know, like you have to take some of this stuff tongue in cheek and, and, and have fun with it. And I, you know, I think, you know, this, this book is definitely, you know, in that, in that camp, you know, if you can't just kind of, you know, have a good laugh, you know, at, you know, maybe even at your own expense, if you were, the guy buying into the hype of Reign of the Superman or Nightfall, you can still kind of step away from yourself and go, yeah, okay, fine. I was into the hype at the time, but this this brings up some good points, you know. Like, yes, I'm I'm one of the mindless sheep who who you know bought the Reign of the Superman or whatever, but that's fine. I can still laugh at myself and kind of you know get the joke, you know. So it's like it's not it's not the end of the world, you know, you, you, you don't have to have such a, 
a big hubris, you know, about yourself that, you know, that you, you can't actually kind of see the, the funny in, in what's going on with some of these mega events. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, you, you pretty much put up, put it the way I've, I was thinking when I read this, even at the time. And, you know, I, I really hope people, uh, you know, remember the, the one most important thing about comic books. They're supposed to be fun. Supposed to, you're supposed to have a good time when you, when you read comics or go see a comic movie or anything like that. And if you get too serious about it and you're not having fun anymore, then, then why are you do Why are you having this as a hobby? You know, just have fun with it, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thanks, Tony, for bringing bringing the fun tonight, and and also to Justin for bringing the, a cool Wonder Woman issue. And I think we'll we'll go out on that note. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. And you, of course, can find all of our shows on the fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. We are on all kinds of social media. We can be found on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We like all the likes, the hearts, the notes, the shares. So we appreciate all that good stuff. And if you enjoy checking out comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? We have plenty of other spinoff shows. We've got the Fanholes Podcast proper, of course. And then we've got Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays. Sentai Saturdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. So, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Booyah! And this is the Justin of Earth 2. This is Tony. I am a good man. Where are the drugs? Hit me up, man. (laughs) Come together! planning on going in uh, chronological order so i guess that would be uh justin first then my cyborg book and then uh, and then tony's book yeah i had a feeling that mine if we did chronologically mine would be last because i'm like ah, mine mine was super 90s <laughs> wait is that i thought your book was like 82 <laughs> me no Derek's. oh oh because mine was 84, right? Unless oh, I read the wrong is that, thing. Is that... Maybe I'm wrong. Sorry. Did I then, that up? Mine's 84, but I oh, thought oh, you Oh, no, you're right. You're right. So I guess I'm first. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Good call. I was like... No, I was just like, wait, did I read the wrong book? Like, wait. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're totally right. I am wrong. I'm wrong. Hi, wrong. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How wrong. <laughs> You're not a true fan, Derek. I'm not. I'm not a true fan. I don't even know who you are anymore. I I, I, I love uh, fucking Bucky and Cap ballroom dancing. I'm not a true <laughs> fan. Oh, God.
All right. You like Voyager. <laughs> Neelix is my best friend. All right. <laughs>